Well, I actually want to throw it back on, on the ladies because uh, since we are all in the business of ruining men's childhoods, um, <laughs> Kristen and Melissa had, uh, they came up with this way to really enrage men, which they thought would be uh, to do the folk lady version of, of Ghostbusters. So I would like them to perform that. When there's something strange <laughs> in your neighborhood, <laughs> who are you going to call the Ghostbusters? <laughs> Right, and apparently my penis really needs work. Radio Drome. I'm not sure how I would market Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley, and you're listening to Radio Drome, a very unmarketable show. With me, as always, is Cecil Meh Trachtenberg. I clearly don't understand marketing. No, you don't, because you have no <laughs> idea. I mean, you don't know why every movie poster has to look the same. You're an idiot, Cecil. I am. I'm, I'm an absolute idiot. I don't know anything about marketing. Speaking of marketing, though, what you could do is go to adamandeve.com. I'm marketing for them. And you use the promo code DROME. If you do that, you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free clit bumper. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight, Cecil, let's look at movie marketing. Now, we've technically kind of done this before, but I'm going to look at how not to market a movie. Sony has proved to us this entire calendar year how you don't market a movie. I don't want to talk about the aspects of the movie itself or, the, or whatnot, but just the marketing aspects. Have you seen how Sony seems to have made every conceivable marketing mistake they could with Ghostbusters? Whether you think the movie is good or not, which I know you don't, but I'm just saying for the audience, whether you think it's good or not, Sony has no idea how to market this movie, do they? Well, didn't the president of Sony come out not that long ago, maybe a week or two ago, and basically say that more or less everything is playing uh, according to plan? Like he it's was so obviously it's not every single thing Sony does is a oh shit, how do we fix this? I, I don't see it as a oh shit, how can we fix this? I think that they are at the point now where they've like they know they have a crappy movie on their hands so they're trying to shame people into seeing it like uh, you know that was the whole thing with the misogyny aspect of it it was like i saw the trailer i saw the second trailer i saw the third trailer and all three of them looked awful and i will you know i base a lot of times whether or not i'm going to go see a movie on if it uh you know if it looks appealing or not there's been a lot of movies where i haven't seen them based on the trailer and then maybe somebody saw it and said you know what it was a bad trailer but it was a good movie i saw it and it would end up being a good movie absolutely mm -hmm. like the movie hugo i i had no interest at all in that scorsese flick because those trailers were terrible hank carlson talked me into seeing the movie amazing film i don't know why the film i saw was not in those trailers 
it's just for whatever reason, sometimes, uh, you know, they just have really bad, they just have a bad trailer. So I initially was willing to give the movie the benefit of the doubt. I was like, you know what? It looks awful, but, you know, I'll check it out. I'm curious. And then Sony, every other, um, you know, the, the Mary Sue and all these other websites are coming out and basically being like attacking the potential audience, being like, if you don't want to see this movie, you're obviously a misogynist and you hate women and this, that and the other thing. And I'm like, uh, no, like I could give a shit that it was four women in it. Actually, when they first announced uh, that uh, they were doing a Ghostbusters, uh, you know, with uh, they were gender swapping it. I had suggested four very funny women that would have, uh, you know, made it much better. But I was like, but it's Feig and he sucks. By default, it's going to have Melissa McCarthy, who I have yet to see anything that she's done that was funny. And I actually used to like her because I used to watch Gilmore Girls. I'm not, you know, uh, but apparently I'm a misogynist who hates women who also watches Gilmore Girls for some reason. I I know Feig's product. I have yet to see anything of his that I've liked. And that includes Freaks and Geeks, which, again, got a lot of people going, huh? I didn't like, like that show either. That I, I Everyone told me how amazing Freaks and Geeks was. So I went and checked it out, and I was like, not seeing it. I kept watching it. You know, I watched three or four more episodes, and I'm like, I am not seeing where all of this critical acclaim is coming from, man. The show mm -hmm. was tepid to me. Yeah, I did not like it. I didn't like that. I didn't like Bridesmaids. I mean, I just so I knew the kind of product that he's going to make. And the trailer looks like the kind of product that Feig makes. So I had a feeling I'm like, you know what, this is just going to be a bad movie. And they just came out in full force, just attacking everyone, telling them that uh, they're awful people for not wanting to see this movie. And we're, in, you know, invading your nerd basement. And I'm like, no, I just. I think it looks like a shit movie. Like, I didn't want to see RoboCop, the remake, either. Like, there, I did a video talking about how many pointless remakes there are and why they need to knock it off, why they need to just stop doing this kind of nonsense. All it's doing is pissing off the, you know, the old fans, and you're not bringing in any new fans. You get stuff like uh, BuzzFeed. I mean, they're in complete damage control. BuzzFeed, like a couple days ago, put out this thing, the top, like 10 ways you could support the new Ghostbusters movie. Buy the merchandise. Go see it multiple times. And it's like, how about maybe deciding whether or not like you think it's good first, you know, before you start supporting it? Like, you know, it's just, it, it was really like, it seemed very um, desperate. That it was like, okay, you know, yeah, we're going to support this thing. We, you know, we're not sure if it's going to be good or not. Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig were recently on a British talk, a British morning talk show, and they kind of gave the game away right there. They did a horrendous acapella version of the Ghostbusters theme. And before that, Kristen Wiig goes, Melissa, how about we go and destroy some, some, some man babies childhoods right now? And you just kind of like... Is, is that the marketing strategy now? To insult your entire audience? Feig has made no bones about the fact that he made this movie to piss off fans of the original. That seems to be Sony's marketing strategy. Let's make this as horrible as we can, and then you're the problem. Sony is a textbook example of this year of how not to market a movie. I honestly, I'm at the point now where I am so tired of it. I just want it to come out, I want it to fail, and I want it to go away because I'm tired 
of seeing so many articles and seeing people who I know who I like who are attacking other people over this, like defending a movie that they haven't even seen yet. I don't, I don't like it. It just, it looks like it's going to like, like I can understand, you know, Hey, I really want to see this movie, you know? And then being like, uh, you know what? I don't think it looks that good. And being like, Oh, okay. But there's a lot of, you know, Hey, I want to see this movie. I don't want to see a movie. I don't think it looks good. What's wrong with you. Why don't you want to see this movie? It's like, Oh, f- yourself like i i don't want to see it because i think it looks bad and i don't like the angle that they're going with where uh you know they are attacking the potential audience you know normally you want to massage the audience be like hey you know this this is going to be good this you know you want to show the best parts well not the best parts because then you ruin the movie but show good parts of the movie and kind of get you interested it just seems like it's the, the whole marketing aspect behind this is such a disaster. That horrible cover of uh, the Ghostbusters theme with um, Fallout Boy Fallout and Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott. Two artists who I'm not particularly fond of. Everybody like I don't I have not seen a that's one thing that I will say. I have not seen a single person defend that song. Fallout Boy and Missy Elliott are trying to tell people that by not liking the song, you're a misogynist. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, that you gotta must... toe the party line, I guess. Yeah, I guess they're trying to go in with that, and, and you know, because they, they want it, it's all just this weird guilt trip thing it's it's a very this year's just actually i should say these past two years of just everything has kind of gone off the rails and like it's it's wacky town like nothing makes sense anymore you know attack your audience call them misogynist racists uh, you know for because they don't want to see a movie you know like i don't understand the the whole thing behind that it's just it's insanity i know you are not a fan of james rolf but i like james james is a really genuinely good guy put out his video saying that he wasn't going to go see the Ghostbusters movie. And he gave very valid reasons why. Very calm, very, you know, succinct, very, you know, not a long drawn out thing. Just basically, hey, I don't want to see this. And the reason why he did that is because his audience knows that the Ghostbusters you know, movies are his favorite movie. If you know, it's, it's his like one of, if not his all time favorite movie. And ever since they announced, you know, they were doing a reboot, his audience had been hounding him. Are you going to go see this movie? Oh my God, I want you to go see this movie and then put out a video where you trash it. And so instead of putting out a tweet or instead of putting out Facebook message or something, he decided to sit down and do a very calm explanation as to why, you know what, here's where he's going to dry the lawn in the sand. No, I saw his video. I agreed with many of his points, and I couldn't believe the media shitstorm that's thrown up around that. Like, oh my God, this overgrown man baby. And somebody at one of the websites pointed out his wedding ring, and how could some woman have married? I mean, I, I don't understand. You know I hate James Rolfe. I Which, was defending in him case... in this because he wasn't wrong. Yeah, he did nothing wrong. He was like they and there were a lot of people that openly admitted that they never watched the video. They just saw, you know, oh, this is the angry video game nerd. So he probably put out an angry, you know, uh, video when really he only does that like once in a while anymore. And he put out a very calm, you know, rational explanation as to why he wasn't going to go see this movie. And there were some people who were like, well, you know, why? Why did he feel the need to make 
make a viral video. He didn't make a viral video. He made a video that he released to his 2 million subscribers who had been asking him about his thoughts on this movie. And it wouldn't have gone any further than that. The people who made it viral were the people who were the Mary Sue and all these other websites. Patton Oswalt was one Patton, of them. Patton Oswalt. Dane Cook attacked him. Dane Cook probably just was echoing something he heard Louis C.K. say. <laughs> I was going to say, let's leave Ghostbusters aside. Let's talk about some other good and bad marketing of movies. Like, I think, even though I didn't like the first film, The Blair Witch Project is one of the most brilliantly marketed films of the 1990s, at least, but of the modern era, almost. The Blair Witch people knew how to market a movie, especially in the emerging early days of the internet, that campaign was so brilliant, wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant. And the thing is, on the DVD, they talked about how the way that they did it was they purposefully marketed it through a lot of college campuses. And they did it almost as like, it was like a little bit of like a detective thing. Like they would, they were releasing information and all this stuff about the Blair Witch and all this stuff about these missing kids. And it was kind of like a scavenger hunt. You had like all these colleges that were, you know, would go on and they were watching these posted, <laughs> posted stamp sized videos that were showing footage. And uh, they had I like, just got a quick time of it. Right. I was using real media player. and what... oh, oh, so what you mean is you were constantly buffering. <laughs> yes, I sat through three hours of buffering for a 30-second video. But they did it that way, and that really got people started. Uh, that got people start uh, talking about it. And then uh, they put up the missing posters when they were at Sundance and really had a lot of people thinking that this was real piled into the theaters to see this movie. I mean, you could not get people to not stop talking. about. I mean, leading up to the movie coming out, people were just talking about it constantly. And actually, Blair Witch Project was, at the time, the fastest from the theater to DVD movie that had ever been released up to that point. It was three months from its release in the theater to its release on DVD. And that wasn't because it did badly. That was because they wanted to continue the gravy train because they knew that if they got the DVD out quickly, that people that were still watching in the theaters that were going to want to see the DVD. So they, you know, they bought it like immediately. And so they made a ton of money theatrically. And then they made a ton of money on uh, home video sales. But it was brilliant. I mean, there were so many people that thought it was real. And uh, and then uh, the other thing, too, is then they got mad when they found out that it wasn't real. You know, uh, right. yeah, why would I? Why? And it's like, well, it, because it's a movie. <laughs> but but then look at when you don't even know if a movie's real. Remember the, the terrible Judd Apatow movie, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I wouldn't say terrible. I'd say OK. Well, do you remember the marketing disaster that was Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Was 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 there was something with billboards? Yeah, they they would put billboards up that just said things like "You do look fat in those jeans, Sarah Marshall," or "My mother always hated you, Sarah Marshall," without letting you know it was a movie. Well, there are a couple of thousand women in America named Sarah Marshall who didn't have any fucking clue this was a movie. When they found out, they were more than a little pissed off. That's the problem when you're using an actual person's name. 
Yeah, especially a name like Sarah Marshall that's really not Relatively that common. uncommon. Yeah, you know, it's not uh, Zelda Rubenstein. So they got a lot of crap over the Forgetting Sarah Marshall disastrous promotional campaign. They should have thought that one through that, you know what, there's probably non-fictional women named Sarah Marshall as well. Yeah, that might um, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> Another not good idea was, again, whether you like the movie or not, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the movie. Remember the disastrous marketing of that? No, I, that one I don't know. In 2007, in Boston, remember, oh, only oh, six years that... after 9-11, and there has been, been two other thwarted terrorist attacks. Okay. They, they, they put out little light-up things of the, those Atari aliens giving the middle fingers, and they, had, they were kind of hastily put together. They had wires coming out of them, and they would just leave them randomly around Boston, under bridges, in train stations, at the airport. So all of a sudden, people, Aquadine Hunger Force is not that popular, people who have no idea what this is see a strange glowing device at a central hub with wires sticking out of it. Yeah, that didn't work out so hot, did it? They didn't, from, from what I gathered, they had them in fairly visible places. It wasn't so much that they were, uh, the, the, the aspect of it where it was you know, poorly marketed, it was not maybe the best idea. But the thing was, they did that in a few different places. They did it in New York. They did it somewhere in California. I know they did it in Boston. The people, you know, when people in New York found it, they were like, oh, it's, you know, because the thing was, it was a moon night and the moon nights were given the finger. And I think it said something underneath it, like, you know, stupid humans or something. And people, you know, they, when the cops were called, they were like, oh, okay, this is a, you know, it's a joke, whatever. Same thing, California, they found it a joke. Boston, um, panic, oh my God, because um, the mayor at the time, Mayor Menino, and uh, he just completely lost his uh, shit over it. And uh, they went after uh, uh, Cartoon Network over it. And they were the ones that really made a whole big stink about it. Everyone else found it and was just kind of like, eh, you know, it's it's nothing. It's a stupid marketing thing. They were the ones that made it out to be much worse than it actually was. What about Masters of the Universe? The disastrous win a walk-on role contest. You had to send in you know, an entry form. And then the company went bankrupt and they hadn't filmed the walk-on role yet. So the company was like, you know, Canon was like, oh, shit. So we either got to pay this person off or shoot a walk-on role for him, but the movie's already completed shooting. Shit, 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 shit. No matter what happened, they were out a ton of money and they had to give the kid the stupid pointless walk-on role literally be out of legal obligation. Or the exact opposite, when you have a random walk-on roll contest. Did you watch Star Trek The Next Generation during its first season? I mean, the first season it aired? Yes. Do you remember the contest? Through Cheerios, random winner would be selected to win a walk-on roll on Star Trek The Next Generation near the end of the first season. And, you know, it was it was like a, like a Wonka chocolate bar kind of thing, you know, where it would just be a random thing inside a, a Cheerios box. You remember that? Starting now. One of you could win an adventure into the next galaxy to board the new Enterprise and appear in an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Look for the winning game card inside boxes of Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios or write for a free game card to Star Trek, The Next Generation Sweepstakes, P.O. Box 5472, Minneapolis, Minnesota. You could have already won an adventure into the next galaxy.
I I don't remember what it was, but I remember the outcome because it had me like shaking my fist. Well, because see, that's <laughs> the thing about a random contest. It was won by an 80 year old lady who just bought Cheerios for breakfast, who had no idea what Star Trek was. And was when contacted, literally said she didn't want the prize. <laughs> yeah, that kind of backfired a little, huh? Guy, like, give it to one of your grandkids for crying out loud. I know, give it to a neighbor kid or something. Don't just say, nah, I don't want it. Yeah, just, no, oh, God, oh, it's old people. Old people, come on. When you market only one aspect of a movie, for instance, like Bridge to Terabithia, Bridge to Terabithia was marketed as like a fun fantasy adventure where kids go into this fantasy land to, to you know, escape the world. What they leave out is the death and physical abuse and the reasons the kids tried to go to Terabithia. You look at those trailers and the marketing, it never hints at the dark-ass movie you actually got. I had a friend of mine who, uh, he took his son because uh, he it looked like it was a Harry Potter kind of movie. And uh, he took it there and he's like, he's like, great, halfway through the movie, I got to explain to my son about death. Like... He's like, because the, the, uh, I, I have yet to really see, uh, the entire movie, but I got the gist of it. And, uh, it's like very little takes place in Terabithia. Yeah. Most maybe of it 25% takes place, of the film. Yeah. Most of it takes place in child abuse central. When you and I were talking about before the show, before I started recording the exorcism, exorcism of Emily Rose. I don't recall Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen the trailers in years. I don't recall anything about a courtroom drama being in those trailers at all. No, they in the trailers. Uh, there's I, I don't know if they ever made more, but the two trailers that I saw both were just the footage of the exorcism and then a lot of the scariest thing you'll ever see. Uh, and then a it, lot it was of all Dexter's sister doing all of these contortions and stuff. And then the actual movie is a courtroom drama. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it. now the thing was, it wasn't a bad movie, but I could see a lot of people being very upset because you're expecting one thing and you're given something that is completely different. Your marketing goes too in-depth to the point where you're only marketing to a very select group for a relatively mainstream film like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Now, I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane, okay? I thought it was easily the best film of, it's easily the best film of the year. I, I, I adored the movie. There are things in the movie that are intentionally left vague questions, but then like when you look at John Goodman's daughter's notebook, there's a there's a Instagram thing. Well, that was a real Instagram page they set up. And if you went and looked at that, that took you to John Goodman's work histories, where he worked on the satellite that's mentioned in that, which may or may not be the satellite from the first one. And then there's the connection with Slusho, and you go to Slusho's website, and you get these mini movies, and it's like, oh my God, shut the f up. Can I just watch the movie? Literally, to get the full story, you have to go to all these websites and look at all these videos, and I'm like, fuck off. Why can I not just watch the movie? You said yourself, you think it's one of the best movies. I of thought the it was year, a fantastic movie. But that proves that now I don't think it's one. I think it's a very good movie. I wouldn't put it as one of the best movies of the year, but that's neither here nor there. But the thing is, you proved that you don't have to. It's the movie is good. And then if you want more, here is all this other supplemental material that you can watch if you want to get more into the quote unquote world. But the movie, as it is, stands on its own, and it is it is a good self-contained thing. 
So there's no there's no reason to get mad about all this. Oh, no, they're giving me too much. Like I could see if the movie if you watched it and at the end of the movie you were like, I don't understand what the hell went on. And then it's like, well, if you want to you find out the whole story, you have to go watch all these videos. And then I'd be like, OK, that's you know, piss me off. But the movie in and of itself is fully self-contained, fully realized, and it's good. And then if you want more then there's all this extra stuff. See, I, I'm not so sure I agree with that. Look at something like Predators. I loved Predators. But the whole, the big black Predators picking on the, what I'll call the classic Predators thing, is never really explained at all. But Dark Horse Comics, who put out the Predator comics, have said, oh, you want all that? Well, that's all in our miniseries. You need to go buy the comic books. They literally had on their website, to fully understand the movie, you need to read these comic books. No, okay. I'm not buying your comic books just to fully understand the goddamn movie. Okay, but that's different. That's what I'm saying is that if you need to get something else, if you need to watch something else besides the movie to understand the movie, then you aren't really giving someone the whole movie. Whereas with uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, they gave you an entire movie and then they put out a bunch of additional materials that help you to better, you know, uh, to better understand everything if you are so inclined. But with Predators, like you said, it's, it's, they put that out as a way to potentially sell comic books and to get people, you know, to to do that. So that's uh, that's something else entirely. All right. Well, what about like Star Trek Beyond? Star Trek Beyond from the very beginning, I I, I, I kind of get where Paramount is coming from. They have outright said that the current J.J. Abrams produced franchise is for mainstream fans and not Star Trek fans. So I get that. But we, you and I talked in depth about the whole sabotage trailer that just did not work at all. Ooh, no, no one ha liked that. Have you seen the new Rihanna trailer where the movie is set to a f***ing Rihanna song? I ha I watched just a smidgen of it and it was enough, like, because I want to see the movie. I think the movie itself looks good, but I'm just like, oh, God, Rihanna, like, first, Sabotage, like, I like the Beastie Boys, but I'm like, Sabotage is completely wrong. Uh, for Star Trek. For Star Trek. And Rihanna, Rihanna makes about as much sense as That's using, Con uh, I was going to say Kanye for Assassin's Creed. Because we're when I, when I went to see Warcraft with uh, my wife, they showed the, um, uh, the Assassin's Creed trailer and it starts off and she's like Kanye for this and I'm like yeah I know right she's like oh god who made this decision exactly and that's the thing with Star Trek I get it they're trying to sell this the, the current franchise to a mainstream audience but you kind of got to go you're doing it at the expense of the Star Trek audience remember that's how Enterprise started Remember, Enterprise was not even called Star Trek Enterprise until season three. They specifically wanted to drop the Star Trek, the Star Trek fandom. They they made Enterprise for mainstream audiences. Remember that very first trailer for Enterprise that was set to early 2000s pop metal? For decades, we've dreamed of traveling beyond our solar system. This fall, we will. Today, we are about to cross a new threshold. Witness the beginning of the Star Trek saga. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready to begin our mission. Don't screw this up. The first captain. Request permission to get underway. Take her out, Mr. Mayweather. The first crew. They have two settings, stun and kill. It would be best not to confuse them. The first trek into the final frontier. Neptune and back in six minutes. 
Just a little trouble with the bad guys. You might think about recommending seatbelts when they get home. A new era of discovery is about to begin. Let's go. Enterprise launches Wednesday, September 26th on UPN. No, <laughs> I don't remember that at all. It, it, you know, it's almost like Paramount, which is uh, ironic considering that they did the same thing the Friday the 13th. It's almost like Paramount is ashamed that Star Trek brings them so goddamn much money. Well, you know, I know that they keep going, um, no, 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 we don't want Star Trek fans. We want mainstream fans. Yeah. Brilliant idea. Get rid of all of those hundreds of thousands of people that want to throw money at you. Oh, I'd say it's way more Star Trek fans. You're in the millions, man. Uh, I I know. I just picked a number, but I'm saying, yeah. Mil- okay, get rid of all those millions. Of, I mean, Star Trek, huge. And I understand that the mainstream You have audience... a son named after a Star Trek character. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> so yeah, you are not necessarily the right person to be talking about it, or you're the perfect person, one or the other. I, I think I I think I kind of maybe understand it a little bit more than than most. I think that the whole thing is like, why would you try to alienate that audience? Like like by I understand you want that mainstream you know success, you want that, but the thing is, a mainstream audience will go see the movie, will enjoy the movie, and then will promptly forget. The movie, the Star Trek hardcore audience will go see the movie, buy the DVD, watch it on cable, pick it apart online, pick it apart online and bitch about it. Um, We'll buy the toys, buy the props, buy all the, the merchandising, you know. So why would you try to get away from that gigantic pile of money? I kind of got, as we discussed when we talked about the Sabotage trail. I kind of got, okay, I get the connection from the first J.J. Abrams movie to that song. It didn't, it was not right for that trailer, but I get what they were going for. It just failed. With the Rihanna trailer, I'm going, what the f*** are you doing? Just is so tonally off. Because, like, is, is it that hard to just... I know that the the director was, uh, you know, he did one of the Fast and the Furious movies, but it's like the, there were people that were joking about that. They're like, oh, good. You got your Fast and the Furious in my Star Trek. And because that's getting... what it felt like. That first trailer was a Fast and the Furious trailer that happened to be set in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And the thing was, for that mainstream audience that they're trying to get, there were mainstream people. There are people I know that aren't that big into Star Trek that are like, oh, God, looks awful, you know? And so, well, there you failed. You alienated the audience that you should have, the Star Trek fans, and you you alienated the mainstream audience who thinks that, you know, a Star Trek movie shouldn't have a, uh, you know, a current soundtrack, a Star Trek soundtrack should be a lot of orchestral stuff and it should i mean you know it it's it should be that kind of thing because that makes it timeless when you put in something like a rihanna song or something that completely dates it so 10 years from now they'll watch it and be like oh god you know they put rihanna in this now to be fair the one time i think star trek used pop music brilliantly was magic carpet ride and first contact because it fit for the tone of what they were going for, and it absolutely fit the scene. Well, that's that's the other thing, too. I mean, it's a case-by-case basis. Because Magic you know, Carpet Ride was dead on for what they were trying to do with Zephram Cochran. That was something where he, he specifically played the song within the movie. 
It wasn't a. It wasn't part of the soundtrack for the movie. So right. The character played it. The but character then, played it. But then we got to talk about what happened with Anton Yelchin. Now, Anton Yelchin was tragically killed. I hope Paramount is not ghoulish enough to have done some of this on purpose. His death has accidentally given them way more press than they could have ever paid for. Anton Yelchin, in his Chekhov gear, so in a Starfleet uniform, is on the cover of Us Weekly and People and every magazine out there that would never have covered Star Trek to begin with. Right now, Star Trek Beyond is polling above any of the other Star Trek movies after Anton Yelchin's death because of the news coverage. Unfortunately, Paramount got a huge advertising boost out of his death. I just, I really hope someone at Paramount was not ghoulish enough to have kind of looked at his death and went, oh, thank God he's going to save the movie. I would be willing to bet that there's somebody who probably was was happy with that because there, I don't remember the exact phrase. It was It's something along the lines of dying is the best career move a celebrity can make, you know? So, because that, that like, it, it does. it Like, there are so many celebrities who have fallen off the map and then they die and then they're all over the place. Oh, and then you got, you know, people talking about them and then they make the movie about their life and, and everything. And uh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely horrible what happened to Yelchin because it was such a random, you know, completely preventable accident that killed him. And he was way too young and he was very talented. And it's just really, really sad. And I hope that they just kind of do a very discreet, you know, uh, f- you know, for Anton or something, something along the lines of what J.J. Uh, Abrams did. He just put out a note saying, you know, you were you were incredibly talented, taken way too young and just kind of left it at that. On the you other know. hand, you, on the other hand, you have Fast 7. Now, it's the only one of the Fast and the Furiouses I have not seen yet. When Paul Walker died, that gave them an advertising boost that they could have never gotten before the advertising after his death after they completed the movie and whatnot was all about paul walker's final film and see paul walker in his final role to me that was disgusting how the advertising people jumped all over this to go we this is no longer a fast and the furious movie this is paul walker's final movie well that's smart that's ghoulish they're, they're not paid to be human they're paid to make money and they're going to uh, they're going to be as ghoulish and and disgusting and despicable as they possibly can because they know that um, at the end of the day, uh, eventually people will forget that they were awful, but uh, the money that was made will you know go on. So I completely think that's horrible. I hate when I see that kind of stuff where um, somebody died and they'll they'll print it all over. You know the la- you know Paul Walker's last film. Oh my God, see his final moments. You know I mean they they pulled that with the crow. It's despicable and it's disgusting. It's something that con you know it that happens when a celebrity dies. They're going to use it to their advantage. That's true. I mean, look at what happened when Orson Welles died. You know, remember Orson Welles was not, uh, he'd basically been ostracized out of Hollywood for so long, right? And then when he died in 1985, everyone was, oh my God, Orson Welles, one of the most brilliant minds Hollywood has ever produced, blah, blah, blah. And his friend John Huston got up there and basically said, fuck all of you people. All of you people calling Orson Welles brilliant were the same people who refused to give him work in those last 20 years of his life. You were the people that kept turning down every project he brought to you. You were the people that relegated him to narrating documentaries to pay his fucking bills. How dare you eulogize this man? 
And you know what? I respect the hell out of John Huston for doing that for his friend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's true. But, uh, you know, that that is the thing. When you had, like I said before, you have somebody who fell off the map. And I mean, you know, Anna Nicole Smith, I have no beef against Anna Nicole Smith. I rather liked her. And, you know, but she, towards the end of her life, had kind of become uh, a mockery. You know, they had that reality show where it was basically the point and laugh at Anna Nicole Smith show. And then she died. And then all these, oh, my God, it was a tragedy that she was taken away from us. And you had, you know, all these websites that, you know, a week prior were mocking her that are now paying tribute to her. And, you know, similar thing. I mean, you know, granted, she was no worse Wells, but I mean, it's the same mindset where it's like, well, what has this person done lately? To we be fair, if you gave Orson Welles lived another 10 years, she could have married him. <laughs> Let's talk about another weird form of marketing. This I don't think you could get away with today, although I, I think it would be amazing if somebody could figure out a way to do this. We're going to talk about David Manning again. You remember David Manning, right, Cecil? No. He was the former Sony critic that didn't exist for the animal first night and all of these movies where they made up a film critic to give positive quotes Two movies they knew were absolute dogs. Only the cynicism of the 90s bleeding into the early 2000s could have allowed David Manning to, quote, exist for as long as he did. Because really, in a, in a perverse way, David Manning is brilliant. Whoever came up with that at Sony was a genius. They're just an evil genius. I, I guess it's, it's no worse than when uh, you'll have somebody say what's uh, where they'll they'll take a quote and they'll put the ellipses in there to to completely make it uh, out of context where it's like this could you know this could have been the movie of the year and then they'll put this could you know this dot 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 is the movie of the year the AV <laughs> Club caught a movie doing that the AV Club was quoted as praising the movie and technically what they said was in their review. But with the ellipses, they were trashing this film. And the DVD company was like, well, you know, we didn't technically lie. That's it's truth. You know, they just but, uh, they took it. I mean, I'm not agreeing with them. You know, it is what it is. They took uh, something and they took it out of context and they took it, you know, they spun it to make it look like a positive. And then the thing is, though, if somebody uh, the, the downside to that is, of course, you're going to get somebody that's going to watch the movie and it's going to be like crap and they're going to be mad. But then they're going to be like, well, the AV Club said it was a good movie. Well, the AV Club's like, no, it didn't. They they, you know, distorted the truth to make it look like we did. But then uh, the you know, the person who saw that they're not going to be mad at the uh, marketing person. They're going to be mad at the AV club when the AV club didn't do anything wrong. Right. But in the case of like a David Manning, the man doesn't exist. These are literally made up quotes. Is that more or less disingenuous than misquoting? Well, that's just flat out lying. Right. Whereas... But, but I'm saying. Is it more or less disingenuous to marketing? Because isn't marketing all about lying just to various degrees? Yeah, I mean, marketing is just trying to uh, trying to tell you whatever it takes to get you to watch the movie. I don't know. I think that that one is a is a level, a higher level of despicability. That one is just like, whereas um, regular marketing, you kind of can, you know, massage it or whatever that's just lies that's just just basically lying now that being the earlier days of the internet do you think a david manning could happen again 
I mean, leaving out legal ramifications since, you know, a precedent was set because a lawsuit was filed, a class action lawsuit was filed against David Manning. Do you think today in 2016, a David Manning could exist, a completely false critic, not a paid for critic, not like the stuff you see on BuzzFeed or anything like that, not, you know, in the pocket, but a critic that does not exist. Could that make it today? Possibly, but they'd have to, uh, they'd have to be very sneaky about it. Like, uh, cause now, I mean, the internet has this tendency to dissect and look into things. So I think that uh, if somebody came out, like somebody would, somebody who, because uh, autistic people, like, I, you know, just have a really good eye for picking up stuff like this. And they would notice, okay, here is this one guy and he keeps popping up on, because they'd be stupid. They would like, it would be Sony would only use him for Sony movies. And it would be like, okay, this one guy only pops up on Sony movies and every movie that looks awful He's giving it a positive review where everybody else is terrible. And they would be able to look through uh, Rotten Tomatoes and they would be able to look through uh, all this other stuff and would really pick up on a lot of the uh, a lot of this that. And what, more than likely, they probably would be stupid enough to keep using the same quote over and over again with how much, uh, you know, spam I get on my website and whatnot. I, a lot of it is just the same shit over and over again so a lot of them are do you need great sunglasses i can get you a pair for 19.99 right and apparently my penis really needs work i don't think it would last long because you know any more uh fraudulent stuff like that gets outed pretty quickly on the internet i mean it'll you know 4chan will get get their gloves on it and next thing you know they have i mean for crying out loud they you know there was the sony leak and uh, so a lot of that stuff just can't stay under wraps anymore. So it's, uh, you know, with with the Internet and with people that just way too much time to look into this stuff is uh, something like that would not last long. And then it would make the studios just continually look stupid once again. Let's stay on the same track, but shift to books. OK, a little bit of background for those that don't know. I know, you know, Cecil, but Richard Bachman. Do you think a Richard Bachman could happen today? Richard Bachman came out when Stephen King was very, you know, prolific in the late 70s, early 80s. And he was told you can only release, I think it was two books a year. Anything more than that, the audience gets sick of it. They, they get sick of seeing the same name, can't release more. He didn't believe in this. So he started getting curious. Are people buying my books because they really like my books or because they're written by Stephen King and they'll buy it regardless of what my name is? So he released four books at the time or it was only four. I know Bachman has done more since, but under the name Richard Bachman. And to really differentiate himself from Stephen King, three of those four Bachman books are science fiction. Not what you think of Stephen King for. And this only lasted for a relatively short period of time till somebody figured out Richard Bachman and Stephen King were the same person. Considering how relatively short of a period of time Richard Bachman was able to exist in a vacuum in the 1980s. Do you think a Richard Bachman could happen today? Joe Hill. He made it on his own a long time before people found out that he was Stephen King's kid. I still think he should have kept his last name, Joe King. Fantastic pun his dad gave him. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. You never you never put that together? His name is Joe King? Joe King. Oh, uh, that's terrible. There's no way his dad didn't intend that. Well, Stephen King, I mean, that with his sense of humor, it had to be. Yeah, that, that's totally intentional. It's also but super he, cruel, but still. Oh, it's incredibly cruel. It's like the kid uh, uh, named Justin Time. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
That's horrible. Why would you do that to your poor child? I I, I once met a woman. Real name was Helen Back. <laughs> that's actually not bad though. That's kind of cool. Like that's it's better than than some of the other ones out there. Helen Back. Come on. Better than like Cindy Rottencrotch or something. <laughs> Old Mary Jane Rottencrotch and her pretty pink panties. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, like, um, but I mean, like, like in the liter- do you think the literary world where Richard Bachman existed has more or less scrutiny than the cinematic world where David Manning existed? I don't know. I think that uh, there's. Uh, I, I think that with books and whatnot, they have more of a tendency to let the quality kind of stand on its own versus, uh, you know, because you don't see trailers for books very often. I think, you know, every now and then uh, I would see like uh, trailers for Dianetics but <laughs> or um, Battlefield Earth, the book, not the movie. But so, I mean, they, they were kind of testing the waters with doing trailers for books, but that's really a tough sell because it is a lot of a different audience. I, I think that there does seem to be a little bit more uh, as far as marketing is concerned. It doesn't seem to be as cutthroat as uh, movies and television. It seems more like they're willing to uh, let something ride off of someone's name or to uh, be, hey, this is the hot you know, young adult property or something, as opposed to trying to lie your audience to get them to read their, pro- you know, read your book. Well, what about when you brought up trying to sell a name? What about when they're trying to sell the wrong name? For instance, the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. That's what everyone calls them. Michael Bay didn't direct those movies. I remember when 10 Cloverfield, go look at 10 Cloverfield Lane's trailer again. J.J. Abrams is mentioned three times. The director is mentioned once. Look at a movie like Project X. I know tons of people that think Todd Phillips from the Hangover movies directed that movie. Why? His name is listed in the trailer three times. The director's name's not listed at all. What about when they sell you the wrong name? There are people to this day who think Michael Bay directed those two Ninja Turtle movies. It's like, no, they're directed in Michael Bay's style, I'll give you that. But he only produced those. So what about when they market the wrong name to you? Well, I think probably... The creme de la creme of that, the biggest one of all time, I would be I'd be willing to probably put money on this, of people who think that uh, the movie was directed by someone else. Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas. Christmas. Tim Burton. exactly where you were going, Nightmare man. Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selleck. I, like, not a couple days go by where I have to, like, somebody, because I'll be talking about Tim Burton or whatever, and they'll be like, oh, my favorite movie of his is uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and I'm like, he, he technically didn't produced it, so it is technically a Tim Burton movie, but not really. But, okay, if you want any more proof that Tim Burton had very little to do with The Nightmare Before Christmas, watch The Nightmare Before Christmas, which he did not direct, and watch The Corpse Bride, which he did direct, which was his attempt at doing The Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's like, oh, yeah, he really didn't do a lot on this, did he? It kind of was, uh, you know, his particular style, but it's not, uh, you know, it is not a Tim Burton movie. And the thing is, I, up to Planet of the Apes, I adored Tim Burton. And then I don't really know what the hell happened. I, but, I, uh, I think I think he gargled too much of Johnny Depp's semen and then just didn't it, it all seeped into his brain and he went crazy. That um, that's a unique perspective. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's one of the one of the ideas I have. I have a lot of I, ideas. Problem is most I, of them suck. 
so that is probably the biggest one as far as people uh, thinking that, uh, you know, was one person was actually another one. Uh, another one that was pretty big um, was uh, the movie Hero. Uh, Quentin Jet Tarantino with Jet Li. It was Quentin Tarantino. Now, granted, Tarantino did a lot to bring certain movies over to the U.S. He had, uh, or to get them re-released, you know, under his label. But, but, um, but see, there's a big difference there because that's that was, that was actually the next thing I was going to get into. There's something called Huge Name Presents. You see that all the time. Remember in the early 2000s, there were all those direct-to-video movies. Wes Craven Presents where Wes Craven literally had nothing to do with these movies, and even he admitted most of them he didn't see until they actually came to video, even though his name's above the title. It's all it's all marketing, you know? It's Clyde Barker actually sued New World over Hellraiser 3, because Hellraiser 3, Clive Barker had nothing to do with. He says he didn't even see a frame of the movie until the movie's premiere. Yet he's listed as an executive producer, and it's the official title is Clive Barker Presents Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth. That's because the contract he signs back when he made the first Hellraiser allowed them to use his name in the marketing. He says, you know, in retrospect, he would have never made that deal. But at the time, you know, he was naive and didn't know better. And people still, he said, to this day, blame him for how bad Hellraiser 3 was. And he has to keep explaining to them, I had nothing to do with it! Like Wes Craven, his name is above these movies, and he doesn't watch a single frame of them. He literally just sold his name to this company to sell horror movies. Probably was a lot of money. My question is, is that brilliant marketing or terrible marketing from a marketing perspective? It's good marketing because uh, the thing is, it, it only makes the person whose name on there look bad. Like how many people that watched the Wes Craven Presents uh, Mind Ripper? and didn't like the movie were mad at you know concord or whatever company put it out no they got mad at wes craven so the thing is from the company's perspective it was a win-win number one they got the audience to watch the movie number two they deflected any and all criticism because they're not to blame wes craven's to blame i just think marketing it's so it's such it's such an easy thing to talk about like we are right now it's so hard to get right, and it's so easy to get wrong. And to swing this back to Sony, I think Sony has one of the worst marketing departments out there right now. And I'm not just talking Ghostbusters. Look at the Spider-Man stuff. Look at Amazing Spider-Man 2. The movie was horribly marketed. Terrible trailers. The tie-ins that they got were, what? The guest appearances that they got the cast to do. It, it, it's like Sony's marketing department has no idea what they're doing. Yet, they're still one of the biggest companies in the world. I find well, that to be a little strange, isn't it? Two things there. The first one uh, with, with Sony, I don't remember if it was Spider-Man 1 or Spider-Man 2, but basically they had released so much footage between the trailers, between the 10-minute previews, between this, that, and the other thing, that somebody was able to edit together, I believe it was 38 minutes. So, and it uh, was the, they're not the only one. Somebody did that with the the very first Avengers movie with the HBO first look and the Entertainment Tonight footage and the trailers and all the TV spots. They were able to edit together an almost half hour version of the movie two months before the movie came out. Yeah, like that is one of my biggest gripes thing that I can't stand. I talked about it in one of my videos. It's like, watch 10 minutes of the movie now. No, I don't want to watch 10 minutes of the movie now and then like wait you know, however long before the no, movie comes actually, out? No, actually, that can work. I remember before the 
you know, the internet's still not infancy, but when the 2004 Dawn of the Dead came out, the USA Network, uncut, showed the entire first 10 minutes up to where Sarah Polly gets in the in the car accident and smashes and smashes the car. They showed the first 10 minutes a week before the movie came out, and it really did get me pumped to want to go see this movie. So sometimes that can work. I mean, they showed you the first 10 minutes uncut and then said, you want to see the rest? Go pay, pay to get a ticket. Kind of like a drug dealer. Yeah. First taste <laughs> is free. Now, okay, I'm going to go watch the movie. I already know what's going to happen for the first 10 minutes. You know, so it's like, uh, it, it's good and bad. Yeah, it got you excited to go see it. But now, you know, like, it, it's like you were watching a movie and now you're starting it over again from the beginning. Well, okay, it, I, I see that perspective now. In 2004, I, I don't know, it was a little bit different. I think at least. Oh, well, hell, you know, it was a different world it was 12 years ago, you know? Exactly. So to me, marketing is so easy to screw up. They seem to, like, I think any marketing firm out there that is not affiliated with Sony needs to look at 2016 and note everything Sony does. Don't do this. I, I am think, curious. I think every marketing firm needs to learn from Sony's mistakes. I, I'm... Uh, like I said earlier, you know, I want Ghostbusters to come out. I want it to go away. No one is going to see this movie. With I think it's going to do a Batman versus Superman. It'll probably have a huge opening because of all the hoopla, and then it's going to fall like a goddamn rock in the second week. More. Are you telling me you do not trust Dan Aykroyd, who says this movie is funnier and scarier than the original 1984 Ghostbusters that he made? Are you telling me Dan Aykroyd is lying to me for marketing purposes? Why would the guy who told me the same exact thing for Blues Brothers 2000 be telling me that Ghostbusters is the hit of the year and one of the great... Oh, God. I, I know. Dan uh, Aykroyd. I, 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 I love Dan Aykroyd. When people are like, well, Dan Aykroyd said, and look what he's the executive. Dan producer. Aykroyd has been in almost all of the Adam Sandler movies where that tells you where his career is. Well, but the thing is, I look at it more from the perspective of he has money riding on this. So, of course, he's going to tell you it's great. He wants you to believe that it's going to be great because they want you to go see the movie because they're going to make more money if you go see the movie. And then years later is when they'll be like, yeah, I was coerced or, you know, or I had to say it was good or whatnot. Well, you know, you always could be like Bill Cosby and just say, you know, you could go on The Tonight Show and say, don't go see Leonard Part 6. And that's the only thing you should be like Bill Cosby about, by the way. Do you know who is not an alleged rapist? Cecil T. That's right. Like, dear God, I would hope not. <laughs> Where can people find Cecil T not raping people? Heaven's Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me not doing anything particularly wrong, like Mr. Cosby may or may not have done. Well, he is always, you are always wrong about movies, so there is well, that. I, I, am, I am constantly wrong about movies, yes. Uh, you can find me being wrong about movies over at uh, escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflix.com, and uh, Twitter and Facebook and all of your favorite uh, social media type places. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, remember, marketing is just that. It's marketing. Never believe it. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.